As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' last two games. Both wins, including a 131-113 win over the Charlotte Hornets, in which Embiid dropped 53, and a 123-103 over the Sacramento Kings, who came into the game with a 14-11 and record. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Finally get it, Rich. We have a no-qualifications-needed Good performance with Embiid and Harden on the floor to talk about. It's been a while. Might be the first one of the season. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. Yeah, it's a a different type of day for us. It is. You know, we've had certainly some good wins to talk about. There have been, you know, the Suns win, the win over the Bucks, Utah win when Joel Embiid went absolutely absurd. A lot of really good performances. But in terms of games that Harden and Embiid both played in, this is probably the first one where you just walked away and going, yeah, that looked good. That looked legitimately good. They looked good together. They looked good individually. The team as a whole looked good. The ball movement was good. The pace was good. The defense was good. With the exception of, you know, a little third quarter, you know, where they were kind of bored and they let him back into it. I have no notes. That was a, that was a good performance. It took 25 games into the season, but that was that was what we were expecting. I think you nailed it. It's the sustainability of what they showed out there. Like we have seen good individual performances and in some ways those individual games are almost more memorable because what the Sixers were doing was not sustainable for whatever reason, whether it was Shake Milton and D'Anthony Melton, you know, handling all of the usage or it was Embiid scoring 59 points, which again, like he can score 46 points and I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. push, but 59 is a lot. That's still <laughs> what he is. Pu- he is pushing the limits of what is sustainable, but 59 is on the outer edge of those limits, even for him. Yes. I mean, you do just have to think about it. He's up to what? 33 points a game. Yeah. And you're just like, oh yeah. So when he scores 45, it's really not that big of a no, deal. Like not. he has to get up there. You know, if, if he has one of these games where he scores, you know, 20 points and either they get killed or they kill somebody. It's like, all right, well, he's got to balance that out somehow. And yeah, the 45-point the game is not really anything that 
stood out. I mean, his uh, well, let, let me just get to the point on the sustainability. It's just you're right. It's the first time the the offense and, and kind of everything was clicking at the same time. In that they made boring good. Yeah, Bo- boring is good. In that it's like okay, I can actually see them continuing to do this more and more. And you know, some of it is they have played some bad teams over the last week. Although the Kings, not a bad team, no, to, to this point of the season. I will they made say, them look like it. Like they they came into the game with the 16th ranked defense, and at one point how. you're like, "There's no way." And uh, <laughs> to be clear, if I had to bet, that's a bottom 10 defense at the end of the year. I think there's some smoke and mirrors in that. Admittedly, not great, but much better than I expected. 16th ranking. I think the Sixers exposed some of those last night, and that's just a bad. Like Sabonis has no chance. He has no chance. Both physically, he has no chance, and he's just not a good technique defender either. He's no chance. Yeah, I mean Mike Brown. I would put him at coach of the year at the yeah. the one third mark because just for I, their defense. <laughs> that's crazy. Now look, I've seen the Kings come into Philly. You have too a lot and just get their ass kicked. And you know they just don't defend at a very high level. They really never have. But like we said, they are ranked sixteenth in defense. I think they were higher than that. I think they might have been fifteenth or fourteenth coming into the game. Sixers knocked them down a couple of pegs. It's uh. I mean, it was just, it was a very workman, like just very easy performance. I mean, they scored 80 points in yeah. the first half and yep. I think that was feel... the fifth best half in franchise history, at least according to stat views. I don't know if they go back all the way. Um, three... Sixers looked it up. The Sixers, Rob King and the crew, okay. the, the stats crew, they looked it up. You're right. It is from Stathead, but the halves only go back to 1990, which I was kind of oh. confused about because because you look up there, StatMuse has the full games, and you see some of these games from the 60s when I think guys were just rifling the ball at the rim, hoping it would go in and sprinting down the court yeah. on both sides. Those those games were in the 160s, and then you look at the halves, and yeah. the top halves in the 80s, and I'm, ju- I'm just like, or it's in the low 80s, and I'm thinking like, this doesn't compute. The It would have to get above 80. Well, especially so, with the way that pace over the NBA has changed throughout the years, like 70s. 80, early 80s, high-paced game. 90s, slowed down to a crawl. Early 2000s, slowed to a crawl. And over the last 10 years, it's picked back up a lot. I think three of the five best halves in StatMuse are from the Joel Embiid and James Harden era. Two of them coming uh, last, uh, last April, and then the one here last night. Yeah, that was an incredible first half. And Joel Embiid, it, it, he, what did he end up with, like 31? I think he only had two after half. Uh, he could have mm-hmm. dropped 50 on them like without trying. Without trying. But he didn't need to. Didn't and need to. I think he, like you said, during that boring, not boring, the Sixers were bored third quarter. Some of the problem was that they were overpassing. That was a little boring, and, too. Oh, yeah. It wasn't it was as entertaining, boring. for sure. Sure. Oh, I, I could argue the whole game was kind of boring in that. But boring <laughs> good, good for boring. the Sixers. Yeah. Yeah. Where they just kind of took care of business. But some of it was they just overpassed. And they got a little too cute with that. But that is... Again, I'm going to be consistent on this. When they're passing too much, I think that's a good problem. That's something that they can they can figure out. It's when they go complete iso ball and yep. it's you know nobody knows where they're standing and all of those things. That's when I am more uh, more concerned with what they're doing. So yeah, huge first half and uh, yeah, a little bit better than 1960s basketball. Do you think like like imagine uh, Bob Cousy getting like the b ball breakdown? down treatment like you know like <laughs> look at him operate in the pick and roll and and throw this shot over his head and it doesn't go in. <laughs> well we we know jj reddick doesn't necessarily 
respect all of these stars from that era. Who did he? Uh, who did he go off against? I think you want to. Oh, oh, the great Chris Mad Dog Russo, who of of New York radio fame, one of the uh, the icons of the genre. But I, I believe JJ said, "What do you say? Plumbers and firemen yeah. were the." Uh, <laughs> he had somebody specific too. I almost want to say it was Dolph Shays, but I don't think it was. It was somebody of that era, though. It's usually Cousy is the one that just gets he gets worked, man. Bob Cousy. I, I don't know how many of those titles he won with Bill Russell, but because of the one video where he, I don't know, he shoots like a layup. I, I think it's like a layup, like over his head without looking. I And I think I saw a tweet that it was like, man, Giannis is, he's blocking out with his elbow, <laughs> uh, which is probably fair. The so game anyway, has, evolved. has evolved. Poor Bob Cousy, <laughs> plumbers and firemen. <laughs> um, where were we before that? Yeah, Just that they scored 80 points and it was good. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, it was, and it was honestly like, I think I made a snarky comment about their ball movement on the first possession of the game uh, because it was Joel Embiid, go to work, ISO, nobody move. And they turned it around almost right from there. I think I'm two games in a row now where an early snarky comment has come back to bite me. Uh, they, they looked, look, look, we can talk about whether, I, I feel like there's almost like a cloud with this team of every time they look good, it's, and I'm I'm at fault with this too. Like this is the way we cover the team, talk about the team, discuss it on Twitter. But is this going to translate in the playoffs? Because quite frankly, after year after year after year of first or second round exit, it's hard not to sort of look at it through that lens. Still, like this is sort of the version of the team that when we came into the season, even if we said, look, I don't know how much of this is going to work in the playoffs, at the very least, they should throttle some teams in a regular season who don't have the horses to match up, who can't defend against them. Uh, they should be able to just pummel some teams with their offense. And for a lot there, it wasn't really looking like that. Now, look, Sacramento didn't play anywhere near a perfect game. Like from their, what did they miss? 32 three-point shots, gave them all the run-out opportunities in the world. Uh, their, yeah. their defense was just breakdown after breakdown after breakdown. They were abysmal. I have no idea how they're a mid-pack defensive team. I don't think that will hold. They committed turnovers, sure. got the Sixers out. Even still, you have to capitalize on that and you have to push the ball. Not necessarily for transition points, but sometimes just to get into early offense and mismatches. You have to attack closeouts. You have to move the ball. I thought Tobias Harris was excellent in a way that I don't think he could have been excellent a couple years ago. They played a very good, very complete game with contributions up and down the roster. Um, from Shake Milton coming in off the bench, George Niang, Matisse Thibel gave them 15. Some of it late in garbage time, but he, he gave them good minutes, especially after those two quick early fouls could have really derailed him. Even P.J. Tucker made a pair of threes. They played he did. two of them in one game. They played a, a very good overall team game, and it's it's encouraging because it, it took a little longer than expected to get to that. Yeah, I thought defensively they had some good moments where they, they had some decent possessions. I thought Harden, you know, it was a weird good defensive stretch in that game. Uh, Harden and Harrell's stint in the... Yeah. Late first, early second, they they had some good moments defending Sabonis and and some of the two man action with Fox, where you know they, Harden was stout on on Sabonis on switches, which he generally is pretty good. Harrell had some some decent moments, and you know I think some of the the defense again last night was smoke and mirrors. Like the Kings shot a terrible percentage from three, and some of that is the Jedi. Yeah. Three point defense again. You don't that generally said, want to give up forty two three point attempts. That that said, 
I, I don't think unless the Kings shoot a great percentage in that game, they're not going to win because the Sixers' offense was that overwhelming. And you know, the, the Kings' looks were okay from three. The Sixers' looks were better. They they did a better job generating those shots. You know, the Sixers shoot above forty percent. They should have. They had good shooters with like check the win looks the entire night um, from Niang and and Tobias and even Matisse had a couple too. Which okay, yeah, that's that's fair. Maybe that won't happen every night, but. I digress. Uh, so yeah, it was a uh, it was a good all around performance. You know, the guy who I kind of think for for me at least symbolizes that they are trending in the right direction offensively is that they are get they're keeping Shake Milton somewhat involved. Yeah, and we said this after the you know week long period when all three of the big guns were out and even before that because Harden was out and Maxi was out for a little while even when Embiid was was still there it's like man Shake Milton is too good of a player to c- keep completely on ice to just have him as this 3 and D role player and Harden did a really good job in that game pitching the ball ahead to Milton and he has these kind of just like bully ball straight line drives at people where you know, people don't want to take charges, so Shake just drives right into them and scores. That to me, like, symbolizes okay, they are they are finding ways to get everybody involved. Tobias is the other element of that too. Like Tobias in the last few games, not a bystander, right? Not not just a a spot up three point shooter, even though that is part of his skill. And that symbolizes to me that above all, like the, the most positive sign is that James Harden is finally running the damn offense, man. So I, I think that is is generally a good thing to look at. Yeah. No, I mean, Harden had, what did he end up with, 21 points? 21 and 15. Yeah, 15 assists, um, shot the ball well, created really good looks. And look, he is not exactly... Man, the cat just, he just fell off a, a desk she like, there. She like jumped to try to get on my lap and missed, which is fun because not only do I now have scratches on my leg, but she fell to the ground and probably hurt herself. Good job, dipshit. Um, mm. Yeah, look, he's not going to win very many foot races at this stage of his career. But he, he still pushed fa- the ball. In, fa- in fact, he quoted to me, I mean, I'm not fast. The other <laughs> <Yeah. as> well. <laughs> a pretty good uh, bit of self-awareness there for pre- professional athletes who maybe aren't always self-aware. But he pushed the pace. He got them into their offense quickly. He, Whenever he got a step on his defender, he diagnosed it and made the right kickout pass. Uh, I thought the Sixers attacked close. I thought Tobias Harris, you know, I thought he came in, made an open corner three or two, then spent the rest of the game pretty much using that attention to attack closeouts and keep the ball moving. Um, the way I sort of phrased it in my my column today is that a couple of years ago, I think that would have been like, you know, he ended up with nine assists and no turnovers. I think a couple of years ago, there would have been like two turnovers mixed in there, a bad shot or two, maybe a floater, bullshit floater you don't ever want to see. And a couple of record scratch moments. And instead, he just pretty much played that to perfection. His his growth as a sort of connective piece over really this year, maybe part of last year too, I think has been pretty admirable. And we can talk about whether that means he should be on the team after the trade deadline or not. That's fine. But I think he has certainly grown into a much better version than what he was. Uh, and, and someone who's a little more capable of filling this role than he would have been two years ago when he arrived here. It was a... Uh, yeah, it was just a really good team performance. Ball was moving well. Floor was spaced well. They were making good decisions. Nobody was playing hero ball, including Joel Embiid. It was just a really good team performance. And that's not even including Tyrese Maxey, who's still out. 
Yeah, I, th- I think uh, look, looking at the stats right now, Embiid and Harden, 118 points yep. per 100 when they're both on the floor together, right? Uh, that was last night, so maybe maybe it changed. I don't know when the cleaning the glass came up. Anyway, that's pretty good. That's not quite at the super elite level it was last year, but it's close. And uh, look, I, I think this is this stretch. Th- there are two things that needed to happen during this homestand because again, they didn't play the three greatest teams in the world. No, and one of them they barely won, and and really tried to lose in historic fashion. And the other one was against the Hornets. So like you, you know, caveats for sure. Lakers took some lessons from them last night. Yeah. yeah that they was, did. they completely stole the game from the Celtics. Celtics just choked it away. And then the Lakers in the last few minutes ran. Look, I don't know what Lakers Twitter is like. If they're, <sighs> if they're just, is Lakers Twitter just a bunch of, uh, you know, the, the gif of the guys with the, the sunglasses off, like, yeah, bro, like, like great shot or whatever. You know the gif I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 Sorry. I was looking up their defensive, uh, their, they are 118.4. Hard to okay. beat. Sorry. I was completely distracted. But that's what I think the Lakers Twitter is, where it's is it's just, you know, a bunch of stereotypical kind of surfer bros, you know, taking off the taking off the shades, wearing the shades in the arena. You know, the, the yeah, other gift yeah, too yeah. is the guy who goes, Lakers, like the older guy. I would take very deep NBA Twitter knowledge to know what both of those are, but I bet you some <laughs> listeners do. Uh I don't know if they are scrutinizing their team as much as we scrutinize the Sixers. But my God, some of the offense at the end of that game was pathetic. And AD missing free throws at the end of the game. Well, we know he can do that. But uh, oh, just just some of the worst offense. So they just completely gagged it away. But over the stretch, that was, you know, the Sixers played for three quarters of that game. They played really well. And then situationally, they were a disaster. Whatever. They need to do two things. They need to bank wins. And they need to like get their offense on track. Like, like you said, you're not gonna prove that you are a great playoff offense and you can stand up to the Boston's, the Milwaukee's of the world during this stretch. But you know what those teams do? They beat the crap out of bad teams. Yeah. So and in some ways, I think the Sixers just need to feel good about themselves. Like they just need to see it. I I don't know why this was the case, but the start to the year was what it was. And it was very choppy, very clunky, all those things. Sometimes they just need to visualize, oh, this is what good offense likes or looks like. And I yeah, mean, look, so. this is a team that we saw they can lose to the Spurs and the Rockets. We saw that. So am I going to complain against about wins against the Hornets and the Kings? Absolutely not. Especially when the Kings came in there at 14-11. Yeah. Also, I mean, we shouldn't let this go under uh, under the radar. Embiid is just absolutely preposterous right absurd. now. I, uh, I almost don't even have words, which it's sort of our job, both in writing and in podcasting, to have words. Um, but for him to come out there, I mean, what did he end up with there against the uh, against the Hornets? 53? It was 53 just on the- 20 of 32. The efficiency, too, man. Like, yeah. this isn't this yeah. isn't free throw merchant shit, either. I mean, there's some free, free throw merchant there's, shit. <laughs> there's some of it, but he's shooting 60% from the field yeah, as well, yeah, which yeah. he's not been a super high field goal percentage guy. I mean, some of it is he takes some tough ones, too. But there there are no words. I mean, you you knew he was on fire against the Hornets because he made 20 field goals, and two of them were jump hooks, which he stinks at. Yeah, and a couple of threes, which he hasn't made all year. Mm-hmm. No, he yeah. was... Uh, and, and, like, for him... 
you know, it, it's so funny because everyone always gets on him. Post up more, post up more, post up more. You know, having not looking at the basket and, and not being able to see half the court. That's the way to efficient offense in the, the mind of every, you know, 50 year old who grew up watching it in the 70s and 80s. Meanwhile, he's having the highest scoring year of his career, the most efficient year of his career, posting up the least amount in his career. And he's really doing stuff we've never seen a big man do. Like his 30 plus points on 64% true shooting. Go try to find a seven footer to do that. You can't. It's not it's not in the books, uh, at least not in the basketball reference database, which goes back to like 83 or something like that um, for those those statistics. It's it's really I'll unprecedented. You, Bill, Bill Russell was shooting 30 percent from the field, so I don't think you can find it. He either, also so. wasn't shooting threes because threes didn't exist back then. They hadn't even thought of that yet. Um, so yeah, it was not going to happen. He, the way he has evolved with his face-up game, with his dribble drive game, mixing in some post-ups when it calls for it, it's just, it's incredible to watch. And again, are you going to be frustrated in May? Probably, because most, most fan bases are frustrated in May. That's sort of the nature of the, uh, the sport that we bought into. It's really tough, and this team is still very imperfect, and I still don't 100% believe in, in some of the James Harden-sized pieces in the postseason. But it's just, it's, it's absurd. It's absurd what he's developed into. It's really fun to watch. And I, I do almost regret that our laser focus, and again, I'm guilty of this as much as anyone, our laser focused on competing for a championship has caused us to maybe lose sight a little bit of how special it is that we've gotten to, uh, to watch his career unfold. It's really one of the coolest stories in, in every aspect. Like if you want to just look at it from the, Beating the odds story where, you know, he was, everybody knows he was a soccer player and a volleyball player. And as he would say, he was ass when he first yeah. started, you know, and Luke and Bob Mute basically discovers him when, you know, he was playing PlayStation in, in Cameroon to Mr. Duo 180. One of my favorite highlights I've ever seen. Yeah. And that was him in high school, even, just running on a fast break, running out of bounds, jumping up and throwing the ball back to you know the the two injuries he suffered yeah. at the beginning of his career here and I, and I just think what he's doing now I it's so impressive I mean you always hear this with like Michael Jordan where you know I was too young to appreciate the year by year of Jordan you know like yeah. obviously seen a bunch of highlights seen the last dance looked up his stats they're pretty good it's I, I kind of understand why people think he's the best of all time but I, I wasn't there for year to year when he was adding different things to his games, or I wasn't paying attention for that. Uh, Joel does that same stuff, man. Like he just continually tinkers and refines his game, and and I think it goes underrated because, and this is partially his fault because he doesn't want to talk about it. That like the way he thinks out the game is is so unbelievably impressive. Where it's like you said, you know. You know, I made the joke just now about he sucks at jump hooks. He does suck at jump hooks. But people thought, like, he was going to be Hakeem Olajuwon just because, you know, seven-footers, that's what they're supposed to be, right? They're supposed to be back-to-the-basket guys. He's supposed to do dream shakes like he had that one great one in college. Yep. And he realized, like, no, 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 that's not how the, the rules work now. That's not, you know, if I actually want to give my team – the best chance to win. And by the way, my team over the years has not given him the best chance to win. But if no. I if I can give them the best chance from what I'm saying, he he basically said, all right, I, I, I got to take it out to the perimeter. And he's just getting 
better and better and better. And for this all to be happening in front of our eyes, well, and again, we're part of this too, while a bunch of us are saying, oh man, this is, this team is torture to talk about. It's torture to watch, which in a lot of ways it is. It can be. But this is also happening in front of our eyes every night, and we get to watch him score 50 points, and I'm like, yeah, that was very replicable. That was easy. It, it's, uh, I don't know, the dude is uh, the dude is one of one, man. He's, he's really freaking good. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. I mean, look at these last 11 games. 42, 59, 32, 32, 30, 19, 35, 39, 38, 53, 31. 30 plus in 10 out of 11 games, averaging 36.1 points per game. Uh, over a 13-game stretch, and doing so shooting 54% from the field, getting the line 12 times per night. It's just absurd what he has developed into. And I remember, I'll never forget, we had a a preseason luncheon with Brett Brown that he used to do every year, um, and Colangelo eventually did him too. And Brett coming out before Joel Embiid's rookie season going like, he's the centerpiece of our offense. 
and all you had in your mind was like this dude at Kansas who like, clearly there's a lot of talent, but he was still like putting it together in real time doing through his course of his Kansas career and being like, he's not ready to be a focal point of an NBA offense. Like, yeah, he's an elite defensive player with a lot of offensive upside, but he's years away from being a number one option. And he stepped on the floor pretty much from day one and was dominant, was truly, truly dominant. And he took that base. What do you average? Like 20.2 points per game in his rookie season. And he built on it year after year after year after year, transforming his game. Did he build on it? Because like you said, clearly he put into a lot of work and that footwork in the post because he was pulling off those dream shakes at Kansas when he barely knew how to play basketball. Like he was developing into that and then pivoted and became one of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA. Not best mid-range shooting big men, like one of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA. Uh, And for him to develop into that, that face-up game, it really has been spectacular. And again... I am as guilty of this as anyone uh, because I have always covered the sport in a team-building, championship-pursuing way. And the Sixers have stagnated for a long time. I think some of that is on him, but much more of that is on the team-building failures around him. Um, And it can definitely overshadow what has been an otherwise superb story. And really, I, I feel weird saying this because I feel like so much of the fan base is checked out. It is, it's rare that you get the watches. It's really rare. Yeah, he's, uh, he's insane. And it's, I think what you said, you know, he was dominant from the start, but he wasn't dominant in this way. He no. was dominant because he was a great defender. He was a hell of a whole lot more athletic than he was, yeah. than he is now. He's also a little bit smaller too. Uh, so a little bit of bumps and bruises, a little bit of hitting the weight room. I mean, just the... But the dip, he was, I mean, he was wild. He was so yeah. unrefined as a player. And you're right. There was a base there. You would see the talent. You would see some flashes of some crazy moves he could pull off. Well, now those crazy moves are routine. And you see them eight to ten times a night. And it's uh, it's crazy to watch. And, you know, I think the hope with Joe always, too, like, you know, he's, he has not been able to dominate to this degree in the playoffs that said, when you watch him and you see how tall he is and you see how effortless it is, I I just, I understand it's a wings league, but with the way he's playing like a wing and the fact that why the hell should teams be able to stop him? There is a degree of hope that it's like, all right, maybe one of these years, he's just gonna, he's going to have that Dirk type run. Cause honestly, he's playing like freaking Dirk right now. I mean, it, his mid-range shooting, 50% from the from mid-range on that level of volume is yeah. crazy. Yeah. And he isn't even making threes. Like you said, most efficient season of his career so far. He's not making threes no. right now. Nope. So it's it's been really um it's, it's been awesome. And you know, I, I think it's it's more exciting from a team building standpoint and from a, a Sixers this year success standpoint that Harden is playing well. That's kind of why we we have always said Harden is the most important player on this team in a lot of aspects, just because biggest he's a wild swing card. player for sure. Yep. yep. Yeah, we don't know. We're we're penciling in what Joel's greatness every night, but man, yeah, just uh, I don't know. It it feels like a monthly reminder of just like man, this guy is this has been crazy, man. I don't <laughs> the dude the, the Charlotte game when he had three and ones on three consecutive possessions. Yeah. That's wild, man. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. And Mason Plumley, I mean, good for him. He's making those lefty free throws, but 
man, he cannot handle Joel one-on-one. And, you know, you, you could see it kind of develop. Joe has gotten a lot better at reading the floor. And, and I think some of this, you know, some of his success over the past couple of games also does tie into team success because the spacing has been correct. Sure. They have been making these subtle cuts and subtle movement at the right time to where these admittedly bad defenses have been confused. And Joe sees it coming. He's like, okay, if I hold this for another second, I'm going to have a righty drive all the way to the rim on these guys. And it's, I mean, it's been awesome. Yeah. Anything else uh, that we really need to hit on there after that one? I think the one sort of downside to last night's game was the rebounding issues, which always been there, continue yeah. to be there. The only not real a good negative. Team either, too. No, they're Kings. not. But they gave up, what was it? Uh, 13 offensive rebounds. Got, I think, got beaten on second chance points like 26 to 7. It was a one thing, I don't want to say kept the Kings in the game because it was a 20 point win. But when they were making that run in the second half to almost cut it to single digits, it was sort of like the one thing that you could point to and say, if they did struggle in this game to hold that lead, it would have been related to that. Outside of that, I mean, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, you're right. Like it should have been a 40 point lead, and then they cut it to 25 or whatever yeah. instead of 30, yeah. 50. Yeah. Outside of that, it was one of the more again they have had impressive wins, but in terms of Embiid and Harden being there on the court together and operating in tandem. Uh, that was that was as good as we've seen since last uh, last spring. Yep. Pretty weird. Rashawn doesn't play for them at all. Yeah. Yep. Because jo- Joel basically does the thing where in the first quarter, the the free throw merchant was alive and well. <laughs> yes, quarter. he was. But I, I say that sarcastically. He actually was drawing very easy fouls on uh, on some of these Kings players. But he he gets three on Sabonis very quickly. And then uh, Nemius Keda, I think, comes in. I don't exactly know how to say his name. He gets two automatically, and they still don't go to Rashawn. It's crazy. So I, uh, I hate to see that. I, I, I like Rashawn. Also, the other highlight from last night's game, Tony Brothers with one of the worst calls I've ever seen in my life when Embiid pulled the oh, chair Sabonis, on yeah. Sabonis. It was wild. How bad. He was <laughs> yeah. looking right at it. Joel, like... I mean, his his defensive energy once they got up twenty five points was not that good for most of the night. That's okay. I'm not gonna yell at him for that. You know, preserve your body once 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 you build the twenty point lead, you can preserve your body a little bit. Uh, but he he pulls the chair on Sabonis yeah. like doesn't even. He was like, "Hey, go ahead, shoot this layup." But I know you're gonna fall over because you're, you know, you're trying too hard to throw your body into me. And Tony Brothers, man, he yeah, he fell, he fell for, for it. it. Yes, he did. It's also, the one thing, Sabonis after it's over, too, like being like, come on, that's an easy call. It's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is one thing, you know, um, Elliot Shore Parks, our good friend, uh, Kyle Newbeck's podcast partner. Go check out Kyle's podcast. He had the one pretty infamous take of, you know, could you hit a home run? Could you score a goal in hockey? Could you score in <laughs> basketball? Well, if you're going to get a, a point in basketball, maybe just if you're awkward enough and fall down enough, eventually you will get a call. Maybe that's how you score a point, because that 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 foul there, that quote-unquote foul drawn is proof that if you just be awkward enough you have a chance because that was absurd he was nowhere it wasn't even like it was borderline he was nowhere near making contact with him uh and they still called it i think elliot has the chance of uh of doing that just a little bit before hitting a home run i would say a I little bit yeah no you're when not i say a little bit yeah. i mean you're not hitting a home run no. and by the way just to get into that Somebody, you're going to score an NBA basket because the team's not going to guard you at some point. So, like, 
you know, whether you're 15 to 18 feet away from the, the hoop, like, I don't really care who it is. If it's me, you, like, whoever it is, they're just going to leave us open the whole time. So we're going to score the basket and our team's probably going to be losing, you know. If you were guaranteed playing time, and by that I mean, yeah. like, because you got blown by 18 possessions in a row on defense, the coach still inexplicably, inexplicably keeps you in. Oof. You could, like, scoring a basket is probably the most likely out of all the things that Elliot brought up. You're certainly not ever, like, closing your eyes and connecting on a 98-mile-an-hour fastball or a, a curveball and taking it yard. That's just not, it's not happening. You're going to look completely foolish. Completely. Completely. I'm just picturing every point guard in the league getting the switch on me. Oh, my God. And, ju- and just absolutely dusting me. I mean, <laughs> yeah. De'Aaron Fox, like... My feet would look like they were <laughs> yeah. in literal cement. Like I would, I'd be turning my head, and he'd he'd have already laid the ball in the basket by that point. <laughs> yes, slightly different athlete. Slightly. Also, different. speaking of Fox, shout out Tobias. Very it's good. like it, it's a weird thing where once in a while we saw it a little bit last season. Remember, he had that game where he completely changed the tenor of the game against Cleveland when Darius Garland was killing them, and it was just like we're going to put Tobias on him in the third quarter, and he's um. He's like a weirdly kind of versatile defender. I, I don't think he's great defensively, no. but he does have the ability to like, you know, we always talk about the uh the Marcus All matchup. Like he can hold up against the uh the big centers if you want Joel guarding, you know, some driving four man like Siakam was back then. But he also can he can do okay against some of the smaller guards too. So that's uh that's another feather in his cap just in terms of like he's He's giving them a lot of stuff right now, and that's yeah. uh, that's good to see. No, I mean, the way that game started with Melton out, uh, with Matisse Thibel picking up two fouls before I even really sat down, like that could have gone bad pretty quickly. And Tobias stepped up, gave him some really big minutes there against Fox, a matchup that should have been pretty tough for him, and he, he quitted himself very well. He's had a, a very good stretch, very good. And throwing like five steals from Harden, and like they had a, a really good <laughs> defensive game from some people that you wouldn't necessarily expect it with. Harden steals where I think he just was right kind of right hiding. Yeah. yeah, he was hiding off the ball, and the Kings were kind of, I, I don't know why they couldn't see him, but they were throwing it right to him. And you know what? Credit to him. Made some uh, made some good plays. So so what do we have next on the schedule here? Uh, what do you, you have Thursday night's game. Let's see here. Hold on. The Warriors on Friday. I'm sorry. Uh, and then you have the Raptors on Monday, Pistons Wednesday, and the Clippers on Friday before they get back out there on the road uh, to end the calendar year. So yeah, a couple more, um, you know, obviously a much tougher game against the Warriors. Record yeah. wouldn't necessarily say that, but <laughs> whatever. Their road record especially wouldn't yeah, say yeah, yeah. They are, by the way, they're like 2019-26 or shit right now. Yeah. They're 2-12 and 12 on the road. They stink on the road. Yeah. Now w- watch it, watch this, and they come out and bomb a bunch of threes against the Sixers. Look, but. as long as those, as long as Steph Curry's suiting up, I am not taking that one for granted for sure. Um, but you are right. They have very severe home road splits. Raptors are struggling. Pistons, obviously a very winnable game. So they can certainly reel off a couple more here in a row. Uh, this is a get right seven game homestand. Like you pointed out a couple podcasts ago with none of them are back to backs. So they're pretty well rested. They're not traveling. They have some winnable games here. And the first three games of that homestand have started off on the right foot after what looked like could have been a, a real frustrating start to it against the Lakers. Um, they have bounced back in a, in a good and decisive way. And it does go to show, like that Lakers game, even Ugh. though it was a travesty, 
Just one game. You just sometimes you need to win too. Like it's yeah. like okay, yeah. like that's how seven game winning streaks sometimes are built. And look, they they could win. I, honestly, with the rest advantage they have against Golden State, I think they're clear favorites in the next everyone up until that Clippers game, and they might be clear favorites in that one too. Yeah. I just watched the Clippers dismantle the Celtics, so maybe I'm overvaluing them a little bit. Kawhi Leonard scares the hell out of me, just in in general as a a player. He's Everybody knows yeah. who he is. Yep. But uh, yeah, definitely a get right stretch. So we'll see. They keep it going. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.